So those of you who uh, have lived for a few years, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you that it takes one second for your whole life to radically change. Some of you have experienced this. Um, in early 2008, some of you have heard this story before, but some of you haven't. Early in 2008, Karen found a lump in her breast, and uh, so it's off to the doctor to find out what's going on. Um, initial report was good, it's benign. So they send us home, and uh, we're just happy-go-lucky. Um, but Karen notices there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. Uh, it's still growing, and it's growing significantly. So we head back to the doctor. This is Wednesday, June 4th, 2008. And the doctor said, yeah, we need to take this out. He still wouldn't make a commitment whether it was cancer or not. He just said, we need to get this out. So Thursday, July, uh, pardon me, June 26, 2008, uh, we go in for surgery, and the lump is removed, and I'm sitting in the, in the waiting room, and he comes out of the OR, and he gives me the bad news. It's cancer. And yeah, my whole life changed in that moment. You understand, some of you do understand. So chemo would begin uh, Thursday, August 21, 2008. And this was back when people played CDs. And I had a CD player in my car and I strategically placed a CD in the CD player because I wanted her to hear this song on the way to chemo, on the way to her first chemo. Uh, the song is called, I Know Your Name, by Michael W. Smith. It opens with a believer confessing his great need, his hurt and his pain and his fear. Actually, it's Psalm 13, <laughs> okay, that you heard me read just a moment ago. The chorus rises, and it's God's answer. The chorus is God's answer to his child, okay? The chorus is God's answer to his child. And God sings to his child and says, Yes, I know your name. Okay, I want you to understand, this is what I wanted Karen to hear. I knew Karen knew this theologically and intellectually, but I wanted her to hear this. Again, God says, I know your name. I know every prayer you've prayed. It says, I'm the one, I love this, I'm the one who brought you here. I'm the one that brought you to this place. Cancer's not bad luck. I brought you here. I did that. Okay, that's in the chorus. I'm the one who brought you here. I'm the voice that sings to you. I'm the hand that clings to you. Man, there's a ton of theology here, right? A ton of beautiful theology. The course continues, Oh my child, I have always known your name. Never fear, I am here. I wanted her to hear all of these things that I, I knew that she already knew again intellectually and theologically. There's just a ton of theology here. He knows our name, not merely in the sense that he's conscious of who we are. He thought us up. He designed us. He weaved us in the womb. And he sustains us second by second, moment by moment. That's how he knows us. It's not, it's not just, yeah, I know who he is. 
We are his intellectual property. We are intimately. I was just studying uh, Psalm 139 this week. David says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, you weaved me in the womb. You've got to love this. You've got to love this. God says, I know every prayer you've ever, pray, ever prayed. You know Isaiah 64, 24. Before you call, what? Before you call, what, is he, what does God say to his people? Before you call, I will answer. Right? You understand what prayer is? We talked about about three or four weeks ago. Do you understand what prayer is? It's coming before God with open hands and finding his will. That's what prayer is. And God says, before you call, I'm listening. I'm hearing. I love that. That's beautiful, right? God brings us to every trial. Listen, if the trial's here, I've told you this a hundred times, God is here. If the trial is here, God is here. God is going to do something new in the trial. It's not about you understanding it. It's about you understanding that your God is sovereign in it. That's the only thing you really have to understand. The, the doctor used the C word. We've got cancer. God is here. God is going to change Karen and he's going to change me. This is how we should think. I know it's not always how we think, but this is how we should think. God is the breathtakingly beautiful one who is putting music in our souls, right? He sings to us through the scriptures. He sings through us through creation, through the Holy Spirit, through the joy of the body, through sound teaching. God is singing to us, right? He holds us. He sustains us. As, as, the, as the chorus says, he clings to us. And he knows our name. As long as God's been God, oh, guess what? <laughs> He's known your name. As long as God's been God. He knew about the trial. He knew about the cancer. I, I do remember having this thought in the waiting room. As long as God's been God, He's known about this. And I can trust Him in it. I can trust Him in it. God sings, never fear, I am here. The question is, as we look at, at Psalm 13 today, the question is, do you really believe God is with you? Do you really believe all that comes into your life is by the sovereign providence of God? Do you really believe that? Because if you believe that, when the doctor uses the C word, you can fall on God. And this is what I watched Karen do for, you know, during the chemo and the radiation. She fell on God. Yeah, I saw tears, and I saw difficulty, and I saw pain, and I saw hurt, and I felt it, but we just fell on God. He was present in a very powerful way. So is when fear comes, and fear will come, it comes to all of us, even as mature Christians, you've got to remember that Romans 8.28 is true every day. I won't even go into the text. If you don't know what Romans 8.28 is, you go look it up. You should know it. I won't even tell you what it is. You should know it. Um, she did, Karen did what John Piper did. You know, John Piper, you may know, had a cancer scare. And I love what he said about it, right? I love what he said about it. He said, don't waste your cancer, man. <laughs> oh, are you having financial trouble? Don't waste it. You having marital problems? Don't waste it. Are, are your kids, um, you having a problem with your kids? Don't waste it. 
Are you having trouble at work? Don't waste it. Fall on God. Let God work His perfect purpose through whatever trial you may have. Don't waste the cancer. What does it mean? Look at God. Worship God. Believe God. Grow in God. Be changed by God. Be sanctified by God. Be set apart by God. Be a witness for God. Go to a new place with God. Go deeper with God. Expect a new revelation. Expect John 14, 21. Expect intimate disclosure from God. He's going to show me a new thing. He's going to show me a brand new thing. He's going to show me himself in a brand new way. There's a great uh, George Mueller. I've, I've mentioned, to, I mentioned him to you a lot. He's a 19th century minister. I love what he says about prayer. He says, don't ask for the deliverance until you get the revelation, man. You got to get the God revelation. You don't want the deliverance until you get the God revelation, right? Until you see God afresh and anew. Right? I love that. I love that quote. I've always loved that quote. And it's why James 1-2 is not stupid. What is James 1-2? Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why is that not stupid? Because God's in the trial. This is not bad luck. It's not bad luck. It's God doing something new in your life and teaching you something new about Himself. It's Psalm 13 that's what it is. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. My, one of my favorite sermons to preach, and I noticed I haven't preached this thing in a long time. I think it's been four years. The 23rd Psalm. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because the, the valley of the shadow of death is not bad luck. God's in it. God is in it. And you know, you get there. David is writing, I'm still in Psalm 23. You get down there to verse 4. And David, can, he can live huge and die well. Why? Because you are with me. This is what I want you to never forget. It's Psalm 13. You are with me. God is with me. And before I get off of it, Psalm 23, I just have to say it. Verse 6 there, as, as paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, okay? If you don't know this paraphrase by Peterson, I may, it may be one of his best. Um, 23rd Psalm, chapter, pardon me, 23rd Psalm, verse 6. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I love this. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. So that brings us to Psalm 13. Uh, David wrote it. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know how it is. Sometimes when you're in a hard thing, you're kind of spiritually on top of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? When a, when a trial comes, you're ready for it. You're prayed up. You're fearless. And yeah, awe and dominion belong to my God. I will not fear this thing. I will not give myself to anxiety. You're on top of things. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes hard things come and you're on top of it. There are other times when hard things come and you're not so much on top of it. 
As David talks about in Psalm 42, my soul is in despair. Some of you haven't lived long enough to have your soul in despair. But if you live 65 years like the old guy, there have been times of despair, okay? It's what we see David going through in Psalm 13. So, what is the remedy when we find ourselves in despair? What is the antidote? David gives it to us here. But principally, David, David, he's in despair, then he cries out in prayer, and then he ends up in worship, right? He ends up in worship. And the bottom line here is when you're in despair and anxiety and fear, you cannot listen to yourself. I know this is one of the things that people who have been here for a long time will take away because I say it all. You can't, it's stupid to listen to yourself. I can give firsthand testimony here. It's stupid to listen to yourself. You've got to preach to yourself, man. You've got to open your Bible and preach to yourself from the Psalms. So Psalm 13, David is not on top of his circumstance. He's letting the trial get to him. It's beating him down. He feels abandoned, alone, and desperate. Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He feels like he's been forgotten by God. Some of you can probably relate to that. He feels like God is hiding his face from him. I've actually had Christians say this to me. Of course, I know where to go <laughs> in the text. But I've had Christians say this. God is hiding his face from me. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I do want to say this. You know this because you're smart people. I mean, of course, you wouldn't be at ICM if you weren't smart people, right? Only smart people come here. Uh, well, we did have one guy once, but uh, we'll talk about that. Now, in all seriousness, Christianity is never only a feeling. You know, I, I talk to Christians about this too. Yes, sometimes it is a feeling, and it's awesome. You know, when you're on top of the mountain, it's great. Sometimes it is a feeling, but it's not only just a feeling. Sometimes you don't feel it. You just have to believe it. Do you understand my point? You don't feel it. And it does feel like God is hiding his face. And that's when you just believe. It's a, Christianity is an awesome feeling, but he's not just a feeling. And David's in this place. He can't feel it, man. He can't feel it. He can't feel God in it. So let me just ask you this. Does it please God that we feel our Christianity? What does he tell us in Hebrews eleven six? What is it that pleases God? That we feel it? What, is it? what does he say in Hebrews eleven six? He says, someone said something. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So will you just believe when you're, you know, in the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, will you just believe God? It pleases God to just believe God. When you can't feel anything, just believe Him. Do you believe Him then? When you don't feel any of it? But sometimes you don't feel it. It's not about that. It's about Hebrews eleven six, right? It's always about Hebrews eleven six. 6. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Will you please God in your life? Are you seeking to please God in your life, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your despondency, in your despair, in your depression? Will you believe God? He's not hiding from you, beloved. Hebrews eleven six. 6, you must not only believe that God is, you must believe that He is what? Someone tell me. A rewarder. God, I'm in despair, but I believe the reward is coming. I believe it. I fearlessly and invincibly believe it. This is where David is going to end up as we make our way through the text. Do you have the kind of faith that believes God is a rewarder? Even when it's terrible? Even when the doctor says your wife has cancer? Beloved, I tell you this thing, I tell you this all the time too. (laughs) You're not supposed to be surprised when the hard stuff comes. You're supposed to be ready when the hard stuff comes. You're supposed to be ready to fall on God. And it's what David will teach us. One of the things he will teach us tonight. So will you believe God when you don't feel God? Exactly what kind of faith do you have? Has God forgotten David? Had God forgotten Karen? Has God forgotten you? What's the, what's the answer from, from the Bible? What's the answer? No way. Impossible, right? No way God ever forgets his people, ever. He's always there. Maybe more intimately than ever in the difficult spot. Let me just give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse, okay? And then we'll move on. Isaiah 54.10. Listen to this. Listen to this. The mountains might be moved and the hills may shake. The earth may pass away, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. Do you hear it? Do you believe it? The mountains might, what? Be removed and the hills shaken, but I am always with my people. I am always with my people. Let me give you a New Testament verse. Hebrews 3, 5. For God himself has said, uh, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. What does never mean? You're right, it means never. Right? I looked it up. Not ever. On no occasion. Not at all. In no possible way will God ever leave you. (laughs) Beloved, this is kind of a big deal. This is kind of like license to live our Christianity huge, right? This is license to walk through the trial and, and praise Jesus and the people around us going, how can you praise God when your wife has cancer? Well, here's how. I'll tell you how, right? I'll tell you how. So, this is beautiful stuff. This is beautiful stuff. Look there in that second phrase there in verse 1. David says, How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? What is David really saying? For we know when it comes to the relationship between God and man, what? There's only one height, there's only one being hiding. It's not God. God never hides. What does the Bible tell us? We kind of always end up back in Genesis 3, don't we? Who was hiding and who was seeking? Tell me, Genesis 3, who was hiding and who was seeking? 
God was seeking, man was hiding. God never hides his face from his people, but we very often, certainly as a fallen man or woman, we do hide from God. The last thing we want to do is encounter the holy God. And, well, yeah, you'll have to read the book. I won't go into it. I won't go <clears throat> into it. But Adam and Eve were hiding. God came seeking, right? He came seeking. Jesus says it in Luke 19, 10. I have come to seek and save that which was lost. God is not hiding. God is not hiding. He's doing something you don't understand. Will you believe? Will you believe when God is doing something that you don't understand? So what is David really saying here when he talks about God hiding his face? This is interesting. I want to share it with you. It's a familiar thing the Old Testament Jew would say. Ten times in the Psalms, two times in the book of Job. It's the Old Testament Hebrew way of saying that God has removed his outward visible, apparent, external, obvious, material blessing or his presence. It's simply that I can't discern it as a man. It's not that God is hiding his face, but I can't discern that God is with me right now. But what are we supposed to do when we can't discern that God is with me? What do I do? I believe it because I'm a Christian. Right? I believe it because I'm a Christian. I don't believe it because I can touch him or I can feel him or, you know, can lay my hands on him or I, I, can, I can physically hear him. I, it's, I believe it because he's promised that to me. The mountains may be removed, but God will never be removed from me. I believe it, beloved. Every day I believe it. I think I told you I just put it on my wall. When I work on my sermons, I can see it. Dominion and awe belong to him. Job 25, 2. question is, do you believe it? Do we believe it? Obviously, it's not that God has forgotten David or was hiding from David or had turned away from David. David just could not perceive God in his immediate circumstances. He was in a hard spot. It was a difficult place. Oh, here's a good question I want to pose to you. So why isn't God doing what David thinks God ought to do? I want you to tell me, because you've been here, and God's not performing. Why isn't God doing what David thinks God ought to do? Can you guess? Of course you can guess. He's doing something bigger. He's doing something better. Beloved, sometimes you just believe these things, right? You just believe the promise of God. You just believe it. You just believe it. So, I love it. Why isn't God doing what David thinks he ought to do? Because what God is doing is infinitely more important. We have some friends in the States, real close friends. Went to seminary with this guy. I've known this guy a long time. He and his wife went through the most awful trial they were falsely accused. He was even arrested 
because of this false accusation, he was put in jail and strip searched and spent a night in jail. This guy is, this guy's completely innocent. And it all came out. It was just a false accusation. But they were really struggling with it and hurting with this for a while. There was a, there was a legal cloud over them for quite some time until it could be uh, shown that this was a false accusation. They just fell on God, man. I, I, just, I remember talking to him. He said, man, all we can do is fall on God. This is, this is a, one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me. He said, we just fall on God. That's what... That's your job when it gets hard and you don't understand, right? That's your job. And it's my job when it gets hard and we don't understand. I remember my spiritual mentor told me one time, I was telling him I was going through a hard time, and I love what he said. Some of you have heard me say it before, and I, don't, if you, I want you to always remember this. When you're in the hard spot, he said to me, he said to me, God's giving you a story. Don't you love that? God's giving you a story. How many stories do you have that you can tell about God? When God met you in James chapter 1, verse 2, when God met you in the hard place, right? Man, the mountains may be removed, but my God will never leave me nor forsake me. Beloved, I don't want you to doubt that this is how God works. He brings good out of the hard thing. What's the worst thing that's ever happened in the cosmos? Tell me. What's the worst thing that ever happened in the cosmos? The Son of God was nailed to a tree, right? What did God work out of that? You tell me. What did God work out of that? Your salvation? That's the only example you need. You don't need any more examples, right? <laughs> but I'll give you another one. I'll give you... Another one. Um, let me look at verse 2, and then uh, I'm going to illustrate this truth by an episode in the life of Jesus. So, look at verse 2. Psalm 13. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? <clears throat> As we read verse 2, we begin to understand what's really at issue here, don't we? David repeats himself, and he says this four times. How long, O Lord, how long will you turn? How long shall I have this turmoil? How long will my enemy exalt over me? How long, how long, how long? What's at issue here? It's not that God's not faithful. It's that David's impatient. It's not that God's not faithful. It's not that God's not there. It's that David is tired of waiting. I bet you've never been there. I bet you've never been tired of waiting on God. Right? God doesn't work on your time frame. Time is nothing to God. He's outside of time. He's before time. He's after time. He's beyond time. Time is nothing to God. Right? What was it, 13 years for Joseph, 25 years for Abraham, 40 years for Moses? How long has it been for you? David is impatient. That seems to be the issue. David is way past ready for this thing to end. So I'm going to give you an illustration. Just sit back and 
listen, and you can follow up later in your Bible if you would like. If we go to the Gospels, Matthew 14, Mark 6, John 6, um, we see a really, really beautiful story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. You remember, probably 10,000 people total, maybe 15, including women and children. Matthew 14 tells us that after the, the incident, Jesus put his disciples in a boat and he sent them across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sent the multitudes away and he went up into the mountain to pray. You remember what happened to the disciples, right? Anybody remember what happens on their way across the Sea of Galilee? They got into what? A storm. So it begs the question, why does God put his disciples in a boat to head across the sea if there's going to be a storm? Oh, maybe God doesn't know there's going to be a storm. How many of you think that's correct? He knows there's going to be a storm. Why does he put him in a boat and send him across in the storm? Why do you think he's put you in the storm? Why do you think sometimes, as a Christian, the doctor says you have cancer? Why do you think, beloved, you need to think about these things, right? We need to think about these things did God not know about the storm or was God about to blow their socks off with a new revelation of who he is? What do you think? <laughs> you remember the story, right? What do you think? I guess the second question is, what's Jesus praying about? Well, if we take our cue from other scriptures, say like John 17, Romans 8, Luke 22, very often Jesus is praying for his own. This is another thing. You guys know it. Romans 8. How many members of the Trinity are praying for his people? How many members of the Trinity are praying for... If you're a Christian tonight, how many members of the Trinity are praying for you? How many? Tell me. I want you to tell me. Two. The Spirit and the Son are interceding right now. You don't even know how to pray, Paul says. <laughs> and I confess that to the Lord all the time. I don't know what I'm doing, right? But he, he knows what he's doing. So two members of the Trinity are praying for us. Back to the story, men are in the storm. John tells us that the sea was stirred up because of a strong wind. Mark tells us that the disciples were straining at the oars for the wind was great against them. Matthew tells us that the boat was battered by waves and the wind was contrary. Matthew 14, 25 tells us that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch about 3 to 6 a.m. So these guys have been fighting the winds and the waves for hours. Okay, maybe five hours, maybe more. They are exhausted. They know they're going to die. It's like David in Psalm 13. Matthew, pardon me, Mark 6, 48 says that Jesus seeing them straining, he came to them on the water. Now, how does he see them? There's a storm. There's no moon. How does he see them? <laughs> he sees everything. He sees your circumstance. He understands your circumstance way better than you do. But I'm, what, what I want to see, we got these guys in the storm and who comes? Who comes to them? You know, Jesus comes to them. And um, yeah, <laughs> he's not only omniscient, he designed this. 
He meant for them to be in the storm. And he meant to come to them in it, right? And do you remember, they saw him in, in, in Matthew 14, 26, and they were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. Verse 27, anybody remember what Jesus said? Jesus said what? Take courage. <laughs> okay, I think, I mean, let's see how many times this, this appears. I forget how many times it appears in the Bible. I thought I had written that down. I probably did, but I can't find it. Multiple times. It's always Jesus. Jesus is always saying, to his people, take courage. I'm here. I'm here. Take courage. I am here. So back to Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. God hasn't forgotten you, verse 1. God hasn't hidden his face from you, verse 1. God uh, <clears throat> hasn't left you alone, with your turmoil and sorrow, verse 2, and God will not allow the enemy to get the victory over you, verse 2. All right, moving on to verse 3 and verse 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have overcome him, lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. David says, enlighten my eyes. Okay, verse 1 and 2, David expresses his despair. Verses 3 and 4, he begins to pray in earnest. Okay? He says, enlighten my eyes. What's he saying? What I say to you all the time, right? You don't look at the trial. Someone tell me, you got to know this. You don't look at the trial, what do you do? You look at God. You look through it. You look through the cancer, right? I'm looking through the cancer. And if God takes my wife, he takes my wife. He's entitled to do it. He's God. But maybe he'll heal her. Okay. You pray the way you want to pray. This is how I pray. I pray God's will. I, found, I find great comfort and peace in not trying to orchestrate to God or dictate to God or expect God to perform for me because that's how I feel about it. God knows exactly what he's doing. David says, I want to see through this, man. I want to, I want to enlighten my eyes so I can see through this thing. Again, the unbeliever just looks at the trial. You and I are supposed to look through it. It's one thing David is praying for. You may remember Psalm 34, 18 and 19. Uh, David knows deep within his soul. He says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Amen? Some of you know this firsthand. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Amen? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It's why David closes the psalm the way he does, verse 5 and 6, but because he knows Psalm 34 is true. He knows it's true. So from a cry of despair to a cry of, of prayer, and then we see where David lands, 5 and 6. Listen, look, look what he says, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. Amen? Amen. 
Even when circumstance shouts, your God is not there. He's not powerful. He doesn't love you. He doesn't really care about you. David says, wrong. I've trusted in him, in his loving kindness. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. It's, it's John and, you know, pardon me, it's Peter and John 21. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord Jesus. You know I do. And once the, once the, the love affair begins, right, <laughs> you know he loves you and he knows you love him. So from despair to trust, from despondency to rejoicing, from depression to singing to Yahweh, it's what Christians do in the trial. It's what we do with despair, despondency, and depression. He, Yahweh is a God who never forgets His people, verse 1. A God who never hides His face from His people, verse 1. A God who never leaves us alone in our sorrow, verse 2. A God who will never let the adversary get the victory over us. So Karen had, key, had cancer back in 2008. And I wanted to remind her of all these truths from that beautiful song that Michael W. Smith sings. If we're a Christian, if we're real Christians, if we're biblically literate Christians, we are not shocked when it gets hard. We are ready. We are ready. A gal on my Facebook page posted this the other day. You guys know it. I've said it to you before. Malachi 3.3. You remember the text? God will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, right? Oh, you're in the fire? Oh, well, guess what? Guess who's watching over you? God sits as a refiner purifying the silver. God, and, and when does God know that it's time for the silver to come out? Who knows? When does God know that it's, it's time for the silver to come out of the fire? Exactly, Eleni. When, when the smelter can see his face in the silver, it's time to bring it out. It's Romans 8, right? God is bringing you into conformity with his son. And everything hard, every hard thing that comes into your life, it's about that. Okay, God is always doing 10,000 things at once. But when the hard thing comes, it's Romans 8, bringing you into conformity with with the sun. So I'm going to close with a couple of verses here. I'm just going to read this to you and we're done. I did well. I love this verse. I'm sure you know this verse, but it's a great way to end Psalm 13. It's Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Listen to your God speak. Do not fear. Okay, some of us are already in trouble. Some of you entertain fear. I've learned to rebuke it. I've learned to move on. Awe and dominion belong to my God. Listen, if you're one of those people that struggles with fear, I'm going to ask you to repent right here today before you leave. I want you to put your fear down in here, whatever you fear. I want you to put it down 
and then walk out. Just leave it right here. We'll sweep it up later. Okay? If you have fear, I want you to leave it right here. I'm serious. I want you to leave it here. It's an insult to God for, for us to call ourselves His people and then be riddled with fear and not know what to do with it. So, whatever you fear, drop it right here. Let me finish. Isaiah 43.3 Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine! Exclamation point. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm going to close with that chorus, and I'm done. God singing to his child. Yes, I know your name. I know every prayer you've ever prayed. I'm the one who brought you to this place. I'm the voice who sings to you. I'm the hand that clings to you. Oh, my child, I've always known your name. Never fear, I am here. I love Psalm 13. Man, I love it. I love it. I hope you do too. Let's pray together.